Well, we are in the book of Galatians and talking about all things grace. And so last week, Lance started us off and did a great job of explaining what grace is and why it's so central to our faith as Christians. But he also issued us a challenge. He challenged each of us to read the book of Galatians for ourselves. So I have to know, how are we doing with the challenge? Oh, I see some excited hands. Okay, so raise your hand. Who's done it? Oh, well done, guys. That's a fair few of you. That's awesome. Well, if you haven't yet done it and you weren't able to raise your hand, that's okay. There's grace. There's also about nine weeks left in the series, so you have time, right? But I do encourage you to read it on your own. It's a very short book. It's only about six chapters. You can do audio Bibles if reading, uh, reading a book or, or reading the Bible is difficult for you. Plus, we're going to read a solid chunk of it today. So hopefully that will spur you on and want to complete this challenge. But before we do that, before we read the passage we have for this morning, uh, I want to give some context and background about what Paul was writing into. Because the book of Galatians was actually a letter Paul wrote it to the church in Galatia, and they were really struggling with this idea of grace. Now, grace is the Greek word charis. It means unmerited favor or undeserved kindness. Uh, Another translation implies a gift of kindness, which I really like that one, because that's what Jesus does. He gives us this gift of kindness that we didn't earn, we didn't deserve it. He just gives it. But they were struggling with this. And specifically, there were two groups within that community, the Jewish believers or Gentile and non-Jewish believers. And the Jewish believers were saying like, yes, grace. But also, you should really follow all the Jewish traditions and laws and customs. So you should really be circumcised and you should follow kosher laws and Sabbath laws, et cetera, et cetera. And so this was creating a lot of confusion Intention. So Paul is writing into this pretty messy situation to remind them of the truth, to remind them of, no, that's not the gospel you said yes to. You said yes to grace. And so that's the backdrop of, of everything that we're going to be talking about in this whole series and the backdrop for what we're about to read now, okay? But we're going to read uh, Galatians 1 verses 11 to 24, and it'll come up on here as well. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I turned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. Cephas is another name for Peter, who's one of the apostles, and stayed with him 15 days. 
I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Now, we think of Paul as this incredible apostle and missionary and as a father of our faith. And he was that. But he wasn't always that. Before he encountered Jesus, before he said yes to grace, he was a very different person. He was one of the religious elite. Um, He was incredibly well-educated. In fact, he was known as one of the most brilliant and well-educated Jewish leaders of the time. And that brought with it influence and power and prestige and and finance and, and all of those kinds of things. So in a worldly sense... Paul was killing it, like he was top of his game. He also was not a very good man. He was actively persecuting and killing Christians. He was doing everything he could to destroy the faith of Christ. He was an an enemy of the church until grace enters. And he thought that all those things were going to save him. That his zeal for God and and these works that he thought were good, that 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 was actually going to bring him to the Lord. But it wasn't. He needed a savior. And I remember the the run-up to me getting saved, the months leading up to my moment of accepting Jesus. And I, too, was leading a very different life. If you knew me before Jesus, you would not recognize me. Before Jesus, I was, uh, I, I was very into the party scene and all that that implied. But it was interesting because I was also becoming friends with a group of Christians, like at the same time. And there was something about them that, that I liked. And I just thought, oh, they have something I want. And so, okay, well... I guess I need to be a good Christian then and and a good person because then if if I'm a good Christian, then God will love me and they'll love me and I'll go to heaven and that sounds good. And so, okay, like this is is what I want to do. Right, so how do I be a good Christian and a good person? Okay, and I made these rules up for myself and they were things like this week, I'm only going to get blackout drunk four nights. That was legitimately one of my rules. And they were things like, uh, I'm only going to do drugs after my lectures today, right? So you can kind of see, like, where I was at, right? So I made up these rules for myself, and there were maybe about a dozen. And I tried so hard to follow them, so hard. And I failed at every single one of them, repeatedly failed, I would fail and I would feel bad, so I would try again and I would fail again and feel bad again and try again. And it was this whole cycle that I was stuck in. But those things were never going to save me. I was never going to be good enough. 
Because behavior modification and, and good intentions does not save us. We need a savior. We need grace. And if we add anything to grace, it is no longer grace. Even if that thing seems good, like it was a good thing for me not to get blackout drunk four nights a week. That's a good thing. But not if I'm putting my hope of salvation in it. And so if we add anything to grace, no matter how good we think it is or small or or harmless it might be, we deny the power of grace. And what we're actually saying when we do those things is that grace isn't enough for us. That the death and resurrection of Jesus isn't enough to save us. When actually it's the only thing that saves us. And you might be hearing that and and thinking, well, that's nice for you. That's fine, but like, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done, what I've been through. I've done some terrible things. I don't deserve grace. Yeah, you don't deserve grace. That's the point. That's what makes it so amazing. You know that hymn we sing, Amazing Grace? Do you know who wrote that? A slave trader. A terrible person. He was doing heinous, evil things. But he encountered the grace of God and everything changed. Paul was a mass murderer before he encountered grace. And you might be a liar or an adulterer or embezzling money or have a porn addiction or practicing witchcraft or any and everything in between. And guess what? There is grace today. That's the truth. Ezekiel 16.6, it's one of my favorite verses in scripture. God says, then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. That is the gospel in one sentence. The gospel is that when I was in my blood, when I was in my mess, my muck, when I was there dying, the Lord walked by and he had compassion and love and grace for me. And he said, live. The gospel is that when I was in my mess, when I was still a functioning alcoholic and making out with a different guy every night whose name I couldn't remember and practicing new age nonsense and manipulating everyone around me to get what I wanted because I was the important one, it was in that moment that the Lord said to me, live. He said to me, come and have freedom. Come and know true joy. Come and know true peace. Come and have abundant and eternal and everlasting life. Come and live, live, live. That's what he says. Jesus, that's, that's what grace is. And I remember the very moment I got this. The moment it clicked for me. I'd been following these stupid rules for months, trying to clean myself up for months, failing for months. And I was in church, because that was one of the rules, and they shared the gospel. And this time, something was different. And I prayed, listen, Jesus, 
I don't know what your deal is because I'm trying to be good and you're not helping. And so I, I, I know what I do know is that I suck at doing life. And so if you want this mess, fine, I give up. Maybe you can do better. And when I prayed that prayer, everything clicked. And I had instant joy and instant relief because I got it. I do suck at life without Jesus. I will never be able to clean up my mess. But Jesus can. And Jesus does. It, it was so much better than I thought it was. I thought it was just trying to be a good person and hoping for the best. It's, it's such good, it's not just good news, it's the good news. It's the best news that Jesus does it all for us and we just say yes. And we, we need to understand this. We need to understand how incredible grace is, how profound it is, how powerful it is. Because if we don't understand that, we will try to add to it. And we will get caught up in, in legalism and, and spirit of religion. And, and, you know, this is when people and, and churches and even whole denominations, they say things like, yes, grace, but also you have to speak in tongues. Or, yes, you're saved by grace, but only our denomination goes to heaven, right? It's, it's things like that. If we don't understand grace, we could also swing to the other side of the pendulum. And this is when you get individuals and churches and whole denominations who say things like, there's so much grace, and God loves you so much. He doesn't really care about your sin. And while there's seeds of truth in that, it can get real twisted real quick. Because yes, Everyone is invited to the table of grace. Everyone. Doesn't matter what you've done or you haven't done. It, none of that matters. And it doesn't matter what state you arrive in. There's a seat at the table of grace for you. But make no mistake about it. Jesus is at the head of that table. And Jesus is a holy God. And he hates sin. And people want to push back on me with that. And they want to say, oh, but Jesus was always partying with sinners. He was always hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and, and all the people the religious hated. Yeah, he was, because he loved them. He wasn't doing that to affirm their sin. He was doing that and building relationship and connecting with them because he's saying, hey, I love you so much and I have something better for you. First John uh, 3 teaches us this. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. When we receive grace, it empowers us to stop sinning. Grace should change our lives. When Paul get, got saved, his whole life changed. When I got saved, my whole life changed pretty much overnight. 
I actually remember driving home from church that night, the night I got saved, calling up all my friends and being like, oh my gosh, I just met Jesus and he loves me so much and I'm going to go to heaven and this is like really awesome. And my friends, my poor friends, bless them, they just had no clue. So they're like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, does that mean you're not coming to the bars tonight? Like what? You know, but, but my life changed. Grace changes us. It doesn't just save us from sin. It empowers us to say no to it. It empowers us to live holy lives, the lives God has called us to. And I need to say something, and I need to be as clear and direct as I can be. And so please hear my heart in this. But if you are a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, you've accepted the gospel of grace, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If that is you, and you are continuing to knowingly sin, you are making a mockery of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus did not die so that you could keep on sinning. Grace is not a plaster that you put over your sin and your disobedience. Grace is I deserved death. Romans 6, the wages of our sin is death. That's what I deserved. But the grace of God changed it. The grace of Jesus made a way where there was no way. That's what grace is. That's what the gospel is. I deserve death, but because of Jesus, I have life. And this doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You're not. It's part of being human. You're going to sin or fall short. You're going to disobey him. That's okay. There's grace. But what it does mean is that when we do sin and we do fall short and we do disobey, we allow him to convict us. And we allow him to reshape our inner world and the way we, we move about in this life. It means that when he convicts us, we repent. Now, repentance is not a popular word in the modern church. But it's in the Bible, so we're going to talk about it. Repentance is not a heavy thing. It's not this like really intense, oh gosh, oh. no, that's not what repentance is. Repentance is joyful. It's amazing because it brings me that much closer to my Jesus. It's beautiful and wonderful. To repent means to turn away from. There's, there's actually an imagery of, of doing a 180 with the word. So when I repent, I choose to listen to God. Not my own feelings. Not what my friends or family members or coworkers say, not what the world says is good and evil. No, I listen to God and what he's saying and what he's asking me to do, and I reject all of those things. I deny, I reject, I turn away from sin. I turn away from my disobedience. And instead, I turn toward Jesus. Wonderful, beautiful, glorious Jesus. That's what repentance is. I just get that much closer to him. And when I turn away from those things and turn toward him, well, I see him rightly. 
I see how wonderful he is, how beautiful and good and mighty he is. And now I don't want to take advantage of his grace. And I also don't want to add anything to it because I see how amazing it is. And I think sometimes we get so consumed by our sin and we focus so much on it and we're like, oh gosh, I've sinned again. Oh, I can't believe I keep doing this. Oh, I need to sort myself out. Oh gosh, gosh, oh, you know. And actually it's not a sin issue, it's a worship issue. If you just turned toward Jesus, if you just worshiped him, and gave him your life, gave him praise, reminded yourself of, of who he is, the temptations look so much smaller. It's really hard to sin when you're worshiping Jesus. Because when we worship him, we know how good he is. We know he's better than everything else. Jesus is better than everything else. He's better than money, he's better than sex, he's better than fame, he's better than, than food. Whatever is tempting you today, Jesus is better than it. I can guarantee that. Jesus. He's the only one who's worthy. He's the only one who saves. Those things don't save you. Jesus, and this... This is who he is. This is what grace is. This is what grace does. That it saves us from death. And it brings us into a life that he's called us to. It empowers us to say no to the things of this world and yes to him. Jesus. Jesus. And we just need to say yes to it. And we just need to respond.